I'll tell you what, we're going we're gonna to be talking about just making an impact um, with your life. Um, so, you know, one of the things, you know, if you stop and think about what, who are some people that you think of when you think of them, you think, okay, this person has made an impact with their life. Who are, who are some different people? I mean, who are, I mean who, who are people like, I mean, across the board. I'm not talking about just, you know, in religious circles. I'm talking about anywhere. People that have made an impact. Professors? Hmm? Professors? Professors, that can be some. Who, I mean, who? Can you think okay. of names? People? Stanley? Stephen Lee. Who is Stephen Lee? Oh, there you go. There's one. Who else? Can you guys think of any? I mean, I look and I think of people across the board. You know, I think of, you know, like Jonas Salk. You know, you look at him. You look, you know, Zuckerberg. You look at Bill Gates. You look at you look at so many of these different people. A lot of them have made, you know, an impact on society. They've made an impact, not necessarily a spiritual impact at all, uh, most of them, but most of them have made an impact. So if you, if you look and you think, okay, what is the common denominator in all of them? You think... You know, if you're going to make an impact, you need to give your life to something really significant. You need to really, you know, it needs to be something that 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 you undoubtedly know is significant. Now, granted, there are some folks like um, Gates when he started that. He had no idea of knowing whether or not that was going to be significant, and it turned out to be. That was kind of a, you know, roll of the dice thing. Same thing with many of these other folks. One of the biggest differences, though, the significance of those things, they're not going to last. I mean, you know, like, one of these days, you know, there's going to come in to things here, and then no one's going to remember Microsoft. And no one's going to be sitting around talking about Facebook. There's not going to be virtual friends up in heaven. You know, no one's going to say, how many people liked that last thing you did? You know, there's none of that. So, you know, you start to think, what are the things that are really ultimately significant that you can give your life to if you want to have a life that's going to make an impact not only for now, but for all eternity, if you start looking at that. So, one of the things, I think the way you can find it, you begin to look into the Bible. You find out, okay, what does God say is significant? What kind of things does he say? What does he give attention to? And one of the things you'll notice when you look at Scripture is this. God always says things, sometimes repeatedly, when he really wants us to catch it. Now, it's not significant because he repeats it. It's significant because of who said it. You know, like if I said, um, hey, you know what I've decided, guys? Um, tomorrow, we, the United States, are going to war. Everybody would be like, yeah, okay, good for you. Thanks. And nobody would really, I mean, even if I said that repeatedly, no one would care. But if a guy with a big comb over uh, named Donald Trump comes in and says, hey, tomorrow we are going to war, all the difference in the world. And one of the biggest differences is because of who said it. And so when, when God says something, he doesn't say it. Like, he doesn't repeat it because, you know, he needs to repeat it for it to be significant. He repeats it for our benefit. And so I want us to look at some passages, and I want us to see some things that he has to say. So if you have your Bibles, pull out your Bibles, because we're going to look at some verses, and I want you to uh, be able to read those and uh, see them. So somebody look up Mark 16, 15. And while you're doing that, somebody else look up Luke 24. 45 through 47. Someone else look up John 20, 21. Somebody else, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And then somebody else, Acts 1, 8. So we'll start with Mark. Who got Mark? Mark, okay. 
Mark. Mark 1615. Mark 1615. Uh-huh. Uh, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Okay. He said to them, repeat that aloud. Use your outside voice there, Brian. He said, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Okay. Go into all the world, preach the good news to all creation. Luke 24. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Okay, so repentance in his name will be preached to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. What about John 20, 21? Janine. telling the disciples as he's gathered the disciples there in the room he says you know what in the same way the father sent me so send I now the disciples are probably thinking at that time uh oh uh he got crucified <laughs> but you know he's like, okay that's how I'm sending you what about Matthew 28 18 <coughs> yeah Bethany. disciples of all nations. And there he's not talking about geopolitical things. He's talking about it's a word actually in the original language. It says tata ethne. It is like all of the people groups. And so he's talking about every different people group were to make disciples from all of those. And if you look at that, you know, Josh mentioned the passage yesterday where he talked about, you know, there are these, there are these five imperatives that are in there. A lot of times you'll hear people read that passage and they'll talk about like their imperatives there. They'll talk about like their own imperatives. Like they'll say, we need to go. That's an imperative. You know, we need to baptize. That's an imperative. You know, we need to teach. That's an imperative. You know, we need to make disciples. That's an imperative. Actually, it's not true. When you look in the original language, there's one imperative and three participles. The imperative is only one. Make disciples. The other three are all in the participial form. As you are going, as you are baptizing, as you are teaching, make disciples. So that's the real imperative. And then Acts 1 8. Who has Acts 1 8? Okay. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So what you look at when you see there, you see, to make a guaranteed impact, one of the things we have to do, we have to begin to align our lives, we have to begin to align our actions with God's purposes. So what is it that God wants done? Out of all those passages, if you could summarize what God wants out of all those passages, what does he want? Make the sign. Make disciples, yeah. Make disciples of what other people? All nations. Tata epic. All people groups. So that's what God wants. The scope, he talks about the scope of that there in Acts 1-8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, so, uh, you know, all over, he's wanting us to make disciples. Now, if that's what he wants, and you do that, and you align your life with God's purposes, then it should seem that it would begin to result in something significant. So why is it people don't do that? Why, I mean, why do you think, if you stop and think about it, wait, here you go, Bethany. Oh, there you go. Well, hey, an extra. Uh, no problem. Why is it you think that, uh, why is it you think people, people don't do that? Could be. Some people don't see that as anything that's going to be lucrative for them, and it's probably not going to be that lucrative for them. But I mean, you know, let me ask you this. I want us to go back for a minute. 
because I want you guys to see something clearly. Matthew 28, that we read just a minute ago. Matthew 28. Read that aloud again one more time. Nice and loud. what I want you to see. Who did Jesus speak that to? Do you remember the context of that passage? The disciples, yeah. He has has the 11 there, and he's talking to them, and he says, you know, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now we said, there's how many imperatives in that thing? One. What had he just commanded them? Nope, that's a participle. What had he just commanded them? Make disciples. Make disciples. And then, he says, as you are making those disciples, you are to teach them to do Everything I've commanded you. See, a lot of times we think he says you're to teach people everything I've commanded you. That's not what he says. He says you're to teach them to do everything I've commanded you. And so what had he just commanded them? Make disciples. Yeah. So whose job is it to make disciples? Hmm? Jesus will help with that, but whose job is it? Ours. Everybody. That's exactly right. In fact, one of the reasons I'm convinced that people don't jump in a lot of times is they don't know that. You know, Ephesians 4. You guys, uh, turn to Ephesians 4. Uh, It's a good passage that Paul's writing to the Ephesian church, and he's kind of telling them about how things were set up. In Ephesians 4, Brian, you've got that right there. Read Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service for the body of Christ and to build up. Yeah. When that passage first came out, like years and years ago, and they... And they uh, that was for years that was like in what we called like the King James version. It was like this authorized version. And it says he gave some as apostles, some as uh, uh, prophets, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And with that, there was a comma that was put in the King James version. It said, for the equipping of the saints, a comma, for the work of the ministry. No, 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 no. See, it's not like the job of professionals is to go do this. That's not that's not the deal. It's not like, boy, that's Josh's job, and you know, that's Neil's job, and boy, that's that's Jeremy's job, that's you know, that's uh, Aaron's job, and Chuck's job. No, 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 no. It's everybody's job. What you find is that that punctuation, that's never in the original language. What you find is it's the equipping of the saints for the work of People that are supposed to be doing the ministry are you and I. We're the ones that are all supposed to be doing it. So just normal, everyday people making disciples. And so sometimes I think sometimes people don't realize it's their job. I think sometimes people just get distracted. Honestly, they get busy with other things. They get busy with their jobs. They get busy with family. They get busy with friends. They just get busy. They get busy thinking of career. You know, what career should I get to? In fact, guys, honestly, you know, we'll talk more about this. In fact, we're going to talk a lot about this probably next fall or something. But one of the things that you'll see is this. One of the reasons people really have this desire inside to look into uh, work more and to really, you know, perform well at work and to find significance in work is because God designed us for significance. And so one of the things you'll see is this. A lot of times people look at work and they think, that's where all the significance is going to come from. 
I mean, there's certain things that you can do that are very significant work, and most people underrate work anyway, and they don't understand, you know, how your faith relates to your work, which is what we'll talk more about. But what you need to see is this. You know what? The things that you can accomplish with work will never fill that sense of significance that God wants you to have by being involved in His purposes for your life. So you can try to wear work out. You can work 70, 80, 90 hours a week. What you'll find is there'll still be something inside that's just not met. And you'll think, well, maybe if I work harder, you know what I need? I need a new job. No, 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 no. Sometimes people think, well, I need a, I need a new mate. I need a, I need a new family. I need a, I need a new school. I need something. No. The reason many you're, you're just, you have this desire to do something significant and you're not finding it. It's for one simple reason. You're not involved in the purpose that God wants you to be involved in, where you can really make an impact. So that's another reason people don't. I think sometimes people settle. Honestly, I, I, I don't know, probably a, a good way to say this, but sometimes people just settle for doing ministry rather than for making an impact. Sometimes, you know, they just kind of, they show up, you know, they, sometimes they even work in ministry, sometimes they show up, they, maybe they're teaching a, a small group, or maybe they're, uh, maybe they're leading in some different aspect of ministry at church, or, or they're doing something like that, but what you'll find is that for them, they're just fine with showing up. You know, there's this kind of the ministry of attendance, and, you know, one of the things that we talk about in challenge, you know, we, we don't want <laughs> We don't ever want you to confuse attendance and engagement. We want you to really be engaged. We want you, you know, we want you, you know, if you, if you think, well, what, what is that, you know, what does that engagement look like? Think CSI, CSI, you just think of that, it'll be a simple thing, you can think of a TV show, CSI. You know, we want you connected. We want you to really be connected with other people relationally. You know, you're not going to grow spiritually if you're not connected relationally. You need to be connected. So we want you to be connected there. We want you to be a part of a small group. We want you to really, you know, be uh, growing in that. You know, S, we want you to be serving. We want you to figure out, okay, how has God wired me? What are some of the gifts I have? What are some of the things I have? How can I really be serving? How can I I be living that out? And then, you know, the I. Investing and inviting. Investing and inviting. You know, you beginning to do the very thing we're talking about here of making disciples, you begin to invest in other people. And then you invite them into your life. And part of your life just happens to be challenged. So you invite them into that. You invite them to walk with you. You invite them to do life together. You invite them to come along. And so that's another reason. You know, I think sometimes the reason people don't make an impact, the reason they don't do that, they get a little overwhelmed with the thought of reaching an entire world. 7.3 billion people at this point. I mean, that's a little overwhelming. You know, you've got about 7.3 billion. Wow. That's a lot. You ever ask yourself, how did we get 7.3 billion people in this world? Now I know some of you think, is this not the biology? No, it's not. I mean, we're not going to talk. I mean, what we're, you know, how they got it. It's not like one family had a thousand kids. It didn't happen that way. It's like everybody did their part. You know, I mean, these people had two, these people had one, these people had three, these people had a couple. All of a sudden, 7.3 billion people. So, how do you reach 7.3 billion people? Well, just what Jesus said make disciples of all the nations. Begin to make something of nation. So, 2 Timothy 2 2. That is a verse you guys need to commit to memory if you haven't already. Paul talking to Timothy, it's a verse that Josh brought up in the night. Paul talking to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, you see four generations it's Paul to Timothy the faithful men, the others. Every single one of them reproduces. 
And if you're wondering, well, what was Paul, what was Paul trying to reproduce? Well, Colossians 1, 28, 29. Somebody look at Colossians 1, 28, 29. And I want you to, uh, I want you to read that because I want you to see that with your own eyeballs. When Paul's telling Timothy, we'll come back to that verse. When Paul's telling Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, when he says, Timothy, the things which you've heard from me, these are trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In fact, later on he's talking to Timothy. He says, Timothy, you've known my way of life. You've known, you've known uh, my manner of, of living. He says, he talks about, Timothy, I want you to take this up. This is the very things that Joshua talked about. These are being entrusted to you. What Paul's talking about there is a ministry of multiplication. Now, most of the time, I'll, I'll just be straight up with you, um, we don't tend, and this, this is true across the board, and you've grown up in this. In fact, I mean, every, I mean, when I when I was growing up, which was way before you were born, was, you know, this was the same thing. Most churches, what you'll find today, are committed to a ministry of addition. In fact, most ministries that I find today are committed to a ministry of addition. Now, not all of them. I mean, not all of them. God knows there's some really good ones. But many of them are. Now, why is that? Why would you be committed to a ministry of addition? You know one of the biggest reasons? It's easier, and it is applauded more. I mean, I guarantee you. Like, for instance, let, let's, take, let, let's take Brian here. And let's say Brian has this idea one day. You know what? I just think God is calling me to go out here and stand in front of Tommy Trojan and speak every Saturday morning. And so, you know, he goes out there the first week, and all these people begin to gather around. And 10,000 people end up coming to Christ that Saturday. And he goes, Wow. I mean, the Daily Trojan has Brian on the front page, and he's designed this nice little art piece to go with it so that it all looks cool, you know. And everybody's talking about Everybody around campus is going, wow. Did you see what Brian did? Yeah, here he's going to speak this Saturday. Let's go. So they all go out the next Saturday. Guess what? 10,000 more come to Christ. I mean, two weeks, 20,000 people. Everybody's so excited. They're like, oh, my gosh. This is the greatest thing since sliced bread. This is wonderful. I mean, this is great. Christianity Today is calling him up. They're wanting, you know, I mean, I mean, I guarantee Oprah will even have him on before long. I mean, he'll be on everything around. Now, let's say he continues to do that Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. And every single Saturday, 10,000 people come to Christ. You think people are going to be impressed? Yeah. I mean, he's having to have, by the end of the year, he's having to have five services a day at the Coliseum just to keep up with all the people. Now, 10,000 a week, that's very impressive. No one else is doing that today. No one. 10,000 a week? 520,000 a year? How long will it take to reach seven? You do the math on it, what you find is it's a little bit north of 14,000 years. If no one else is added to the 7.3 billion. 14,000 years. But let me tell you another possibility. Let's say Willie. Let's say Willie decides, you know what? I think I ought to walk with God. In fact, I think I ought to walk with God intentionally in such a way that I really set the example and set the pace for other people that walk with God. In fact, I think I not only ought to do that, but I ought to be sharing my faith and letting other people know about this, just like Penn was talking about, my gosh, if you really believe this, shouldn't you be sharing with others? And so you think, yeah, sure. So Willie, Willie goes out and shares with one of uh, his classmates. And that guy ends up coming to Christ. 
Now, the Daily Trojan doesn't report on that. Christianity today is not interested. No one is running around saying, Willie, Willie, Willie. No, no one cares. Throw it away. But Willie just begins to hang out with that guy, and he begins to spend time with him, teaching him everything he knows. And he finishes that after about a week. And then, you know, they begin to hang out, and he kind of learns more with him, and the guy learns more, and they keep going. And, and you know, at the end of the year, there's not 520,000. There's two of them. Very unimpressive. You don't have to reserve the Coliseum. I mean, they can meet in a phone booth, okay? I mean, it's not impressive. You got two. But both of them have decided at the end of that year, man, we believe this, and we believe it with and they begin to both go out and share their faith, and both of them end up leading somebody else to Christ. And they do the same thing that Willie did with his friend. Now, at the end of the second year, there's four. Again, you know what? Addition is much more glamorous because multiplication. Now there's four, and it's been a lot of work because Willie has had to spend time with this guy and walk with him and love him and help him and show himself. But now there's four. Now, if you just continue that process, the next year, those four, they each reach one person. So that at the end of the third year, there's eight. And they each reach somebody at the end of the next year, and at the end of the next year, there's 16. Now, if you just do something like that, that's called multiplication versus addition. How long do you think it would take to reach 7.3 billion people with that process? Hmm? You start with two? So how, how long do you think it would take? How many years do you think it would take? How, what's like the expected turnover? Is it like within six months of 32 people? Within one year. Within one year, you got every year there's a turnover. So, yeah. It would take how long? How long do you think? How, many, how, long, do you, how long do you guys think to reach the entire 7.3 billion people? Some of you may not get the math, so I'll tell you. Just north of 33 years. And you go, no way. Yeah. In fact, if you ever try, want to try that, that experiment sometime, take a checkerboard. The checkerboard has like 64 squares on it. Come in sometime and just take a kernel of corn, put it on the first one. Then on the second one, double it. On the third one, double it. On the fourth one, double that. On the fifth one, double that. All the way eight faces across, then start again. If you do that, do you know how much corn you'll have by the time you get through doing that? The Chicago, the Chicago Museum thought through that at one point. Enough to cover the entire country of India, 50 foot deep in corn. <clears throat> one, the power of multiple. Now, it's not glamorous, guys, and that's why most ministries don't do it, because when you write, you know, somebody and say, hey, want to really tell you what we're doing, man, we had a great turnout, the four of us, we really enjoyed it, it was great, no one goes, four, oh, that's not impressive, you know what I really want to do, I really want, I really want to give my money to things that are significant, why, this, did you know that Brian's leading 10000 a week to Christ? You know, you're going, yeah, I did. And you know we'll never reach the world that way. Because the commission is not build something glamorous. You see, there's two ways you can measure ministry, guys. You can measure it with a lake mentality, or you can measure it with a river mentality. Now, with a lake, the only thing that makes one lake different than another lake is it's bigger and it's more beautiful. That's it. I mean, no one sits around and says, you know, oh, man, I really like that lake. Why? Well, it's small and ugly. No, no one does. I mean, you know, it's like it's big and it's beautiful. And what you'll find is the difference with the river, though, 
The difference in a river is not, is it bigger or is it beautiful? It's where is it going? Where is it headed? And what you'll find a lot of times is in ministry, if you're not careful, the way you'll measure things is with a light mentality. So someone comes in and they say, uh, hey, Bethany, how did, uh, how did it go tonight? And Bethany goes, uh, oh, it was great why we had 100 there. Well, what, what kind of mentality is that? Like, yeah. Because you don't know what went on. On the other hand, you know, somebody comes in and they say, hey, Joanne, uh, how'd it go? And she goes, oh, man, you know what? I think we really began to make some progress. We learned this. We did this. We did this. And, and I think people are really growing over here. Yeah, you know exactly what's been happening, how people are moving. But guess what? You have no idea who, how many were there. That is a river. Now, guys, if you're going to make an impact in a world that loves lakes, you're going to have to maintain a river mentality of I know this doesn't look impressive, but I know where it's headed, and I know the difference it'll make. Now, the question that would beg to be asked is this. If, in fact, you can reach 7.3 billion in 33 years, and it's been 2000. What happened? Well, that's a great question. Here's what we need to realize. Let's say Willie's meeting with this guy, and this guy's meeting with another guy, and all of a sudden, about five years in, you know, one of the guys says, Man, I really wanna I really wanna walk with God, but you know, I'd really rather marry her. And I know, you know, she doesn't really walk with God, but you know, I mean that's kind of okay, I think. And, so he kind of drops off. You cut that 7.3 billion in half in impact. So you see, it's one thing. Will the enemy take out somebody, as Josh was talking about this morning, will the enemy take out somebody that's really working on addition? Yeah, he, he wouldn't mind that. But he will go much stronger at somebody that's working on multiplication. Why? Because he understands the significance. And so what you need to understand is it's so important for you to have a life of impact, not only to stay steadfast and be working at it, and, and like Josh was talking about this morning, doing the hard thing, staying after it, but then to pass that on just as Paul was trying to do with Timothy. And saying, Timothy, buddy, you pick up the baton now. You continue to do this. You can have a life of impact. And I would love if I had a if I had a screen here, I'd love to show you the world that was Christendom when Paul came into the kingdom. And the world that was Christendom three hundred years after Paul. Mainly in response to Paul and those first century disciples. It was like astronomical the difference that was made what we what happened along the way is there were some people that looked up and kind of thought this doesn't look as glamorous you know there were some people that came in well there's a bunch of historical reasons people came in and they just said hey Christianity is now the religion of the realm everybody's good and so when that happened then everybody said oh that's cool everybody's kind of cool everybody's good what you need is you need people that make personal decisions and they decide, I'm going to walk with this and I'm going to do this and I'm not only going to live this, I'm going to pass it on to someone else. It's not something that you get a pass on because you're, you know, I'm going to be an engineer. Does that apply to me? Let me see. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Yeah, it applies to you. Well, wait though. I, I'm going to be I'm going to be a doctor, and doctors are busy. Do I do I mean do I have to make disciples? Let me see. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Yeah, you do. Oh, but I'm going to be a pastor. I mean, pastors surely don't have to do this. I mean, pastors teach. That's what they do. I mean, pastors got it. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Everybody. Everybody that names the name of Christian has a responsibility to be in this battle making disciples. Everybody. 
So, how do you develop that kind of life? That's what I'd like us to spend the remainder of our time on. Let me give you four quick things. Um, the very first one, get training. Get training. Guys, our, our, our main thing that I see so many people is they have an idea like this. You know what? I, uh, things aren't going real well for me in this, and I'm not, I'm not doing well. You know what I need to do? I need to try harder. Any of you ever feel that way? Just need to try harder. How's, how's that work for you so far? Yeah, not too well, huh? You know, there again, let's say Grant. Let's say I take Grant, and I say, Grant, let's go to the gym. And I put 200 pounds on the bar right here, and I say, Grant, I want you just to push that up. And Grant gets under there, and he's straining with everything, and he's about to bust a gut, and he's sitting there, and he's like, oh, my gosh. And I said, Grant, the bar's not moving. And he's like, oh. And I said, try harder, Grant. And, I mean, he's trying until he's about to get a hernia, and nothing's happening. And he goes, I guess I was never meant to lift that. And I said, no, 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 no. See, there's a lot of people that think that way. But that's because they're thinking, just try harder. I'll tell you what, you come back tomorrow. So he comes back the next day and I say, all right, Grant, this is a bar. It weighs 40 pounds. Get under there. We're going to lift that. And so he gets under there and he works and he lifts it. And I did it. And he pushes 40 pounds up and he is motivated. And he's like, okay. And you know what? He keeps coming back three times a week or so and we keep talking. He keeps adding a little bit on. We do some more. He adds a little bit on. Guess what? In a year, I put 200 pounds on the bar, and I said, great, get under there. Great, get under there. He pushes it up, and everybody goes, whoa, he must have really been trying. No, no, it's not trying. It's training. Now, men and women, what I would tell you is this. For years, many of you have thought, I just need to try harder. Oh, no, no, no. Trying harder will just get you a hernia. It's not going to help you. You need training. You need people who have actually done this and are doing it, who are helping you along the way to learn how to do this as well. And so if you do that, you get the training, you can actually do that. A lot of times, you know, now, I, 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 I'll tell you something. And, I, and, you know, this is one of the things, and it's one of my pet peeves, and so if you're ever wondering, you know, like, what are pet peeves? It's one of my pet peeves. I'll just tell you. A lot of times, I'll see people promoting themselves as trainers. Okay? You know, I could train you. Here, here's the deal. Like, if I go to a gym, and I walk in, and there's a guy that walks out that looks like me, and says, let me train you. I'm thinking, yeah, no. One. Because I think I'd like somebody that's actually, I, mean, I don't want to buy hair restore from a bald man, okay? I mean, I would like somebody who actually knows what they're doing. So, you know, there's a lot of folks that the reason they think they're equipped to train, they think it's about knowledge. They think it's just stuff you know. Yet in Ezra 7.10, it says this. Ezra had set his heart to know the law of the to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. In so many circles today, men and women, discipleship is presented like this. Know it, teach it. Know it, teach it. The reason there's no life in it is the missing thing that's in Ezra 710. Know it, do it, teach it. You can't just know it, teach it. You have to do it. And so... When you're looking at, well, who am I going to get training from? Do it from somebody who's actually doing it. Who's actually uh, somebody who goes, oh, yes, I love to build into girls. I could build into you. I mean, I'd look around and go, you know, let me see, where's the track record on this a little bit? You know, you know, I can see some other people you built into. You know, begin to look at some of those things. If you're looking at a guy that's going to build, where's the track record a little bit? Look at some of that right there, but get training. And if you don't know, you know, if you're like, well, I'm kind of up in the air, I don't know, well, then talk to somebody who does know, and they can help you navigate that. But get training. Second thing, 
take personal responsibility for you? Um, you know, I could, you know, I could work with, uh, I could work with uh, Willie, you know, I could help Willie to learn how to know God, and thus to begin to learn how to love God. And I could even help him learn how to really walk with God from the heart. And I could learn him, I could help him learn how to, to influence and impact his spheres of influence all around him. But you know what? None of that's going to happen if really doesn't take personal responsibility for his own life. He has to decide, I am going to do this, and I need to initiate getting it done. You know, you can't sit back and think, well... I'd really like to, but no trainers are pursuing me right now. Well, you pursue the trainer. You know, don't, don't sit around and wait for that. I mean, you go after that. You know, because, and, and, and the real thing, in all of that, in taking responsibility for yourself, you take responsibility in your life to stay close to God. You take responsibility in your life to stay close to God. It's your responsibility. Now, let's say this. I've got this family. Okay. Who else has a pin? We got another pin? Oh, many pins. Many pins. Okay. Pins. Now, let's say I want to make a mark on this page right here. What pin am I going to use? Well, is it because this one's black and that one's blue? And uh, is, it, is that why I'm going to do this one? Or am I going to am I going to use this one because? You know, I don't like white and orange pins. Is that why I'm gonna is that why I'm gonna do it? It's the one closest to me. I think God's as smart as we are. If he's gonna make a mark on somebody else's life, he'll use whoever's closest to him. So you take responsibility. I need some water. You take responsibility. You uh, I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'll just Enough phlegm is rolling down my throat that I'm okay. Um, you take responsibility. You make sure that you take responsibility for walking with God and staying close to Him. Third thing, live strategically. Live strategically. Like, think about like your living situation. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll see people and they're like, oh yeah, we thought we'd get 27 guys over here in this house. And uh, we would live over here all together, and, and it'll be great. And you're like, um, well, um, why is that going to be great? Well, because there's 27 of us. Well, you know what? I mean, if you're living on purpose, you, you need to get around non-believers if you're going to impact their life. You need to get around the folks you're building into. You know, these lights in here, now we have the lights on right now, and that's okay. You know, I mean, it's, you know, four, four something. So, lights on here. But if you cut all these lights off right now, it's not going to make that big of a difference. But now you come in here at 4 a.m. and you don't have these lights on. It's going to make a tremendous difference. One, what makes light significant is it's in the midst of darkness. What makes your light significant is it's in the midst of darkness. You need to be there around people that you can build into. And so, like, think about strategically when you're thinking about how you're going to live. Where can I live that I can make the greatest impact? You know, like some of you right now are in dorms. Who's in dorms right now? Or like, if you dorms, dorms, you, know, you can make more of an impact in a dorm on accident than you can living off campus on purpose. Why? Because you're just around the people all the time. So think strategically. Think about the way where you're going to live. Think about your class. How are you going? How are you going to approach class? You know, how would Jesus approach that class if he were you? Begin to think about that. How would you approach class? Begin to think about different clubs you're a part of. How would Jesus live out in that club if he were you? Or would he even be a part of that club? You know, you want to think about that too. Because you know, one of the biggest questions I had to answer sometimes is when I was in school and I try to help students answer this every sentence is, why am I joining that club? Really? Not 
just why I'm enjoying the clip, because we can all come to the answer. Oh, well, I think it's uh, uh, needed for my uh, professional development. Uh, you know, no, why are you joining it really? Well, because I'm really trusting that club for my future more than I'm trusting God. Or I'm really trusting that club for my relationships more than I'm trusting God. Or I'm really, you know, whatever you reason. But think, live strategically. If you're going to make an impact with your life, you need to live strategically. Fourth, live purely. You live purely. In 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21, Paul tells Timothy, he said, Now, Timothy, in a house, there's many different kinds of vessels. There's, there's wood, there's earthenware, you know, there's, there's these gold vessels, some for honor, some for dishonor. If a man will cleanse himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, fit for the master, fully prepared for any good work. See, now, you look and he says, okay, some are just made of wood, some are made of earthenware, some are made of gold. You know, you don't have a choice of your makeup. You don't have a choice on that. I mean, some of you were born into... You know, situations that were really, really advantageous. Some of you were born in situations that were not advantageous at all. You don't get a choice about that, but you know what? You do get a choice about how you're used. Because he said, if a man will cleanse himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, fit for the master, fully prepared for any good work. God will use your life. If you will simply, you know, walk with him and not step out of bounds. You know, I had a friend um, that he used, he used to talk about. He said, if you walk into a house and you see you're really thirsty and you think, oh, I want a drink. And you walk up there and you pick up this first glass and you see this smudge on it and looks like lipstick or something all over it. You come Okay, you set that down, and you reach for another glass, and there's, it's just kind of dirty and dusty. And then you look there, and there is just a clean, crystal clear peanut butter jar that's been washed and put up there. He said, now, if you want a drink, which one of those you think you're going to use? The peanut butter jar. What? It's clean. There again, God's as smart as we are. You know what? When he wants to use a lie, he'll use a lie of someone who said, you know, God, seeing the bigger picture and understanding that I could have a life of significance and impact if I will simply stay close to you and get training and walk with you and, and, and walk in purity before you. God, seeing those things, I can make choices now in line with that because what I see is that can really be a determining factor in how you use me or how you don't. And, guys, I'm going to tell you, there's, there's probably many of you who think, oh, wow, I wish I would have heard that a while back. Well, you know what? God can start with you right where you are because that's exactly who he is, and he will do that. And if you will take and just, you know, the whole thing with, you know, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All. All. You know, we, we think, well, probably all, except, no, all. You know what that word means in Greek? All. Same thing. And so you can start right there, and if you will actually live this out from where you are, God can take you and he can use you to really, really impact not only the lives of others, but to impact the very purpose that God is about in the world today. And you can be a part of that. Now, you know what? What you're going to find is it's not, um, you're probably not going to have your picture on the front of the daily church. You're, you're, you're not going to be interviewed for Christianity today. No one's going to really know who you are. And that's okay, because life's really not about us anyway. I mean, we get to just have a part in the greatest story that's being told. But 
We're not the main. You're not on the stage long enough to be a main character. I mean, when you look at eternity and your life, you're not on the stage long enough to be a main character. But boy, you can have a significant effect. Does that make sense? Let me just stop there. Let me ask. You know, are there any uh, any questions that you guys have as you talk about that? Anything that doesn't make sense or anything you think ah, I don't know if I agree with that. You know, I mean, whatever it is. I I I'd be curious. I want to know. I'd like to chat about it. If there is. Silence always makes me totally uneasy. In fact, my model through the years has been when there is silence, fill it. But, uh, you know, I have to learn to be okay with silence sometimes. It's something I'm working on. Any questions, any comments, any concerns? Feel free to look over things. You know, guys, one of the things as you're thinking through it, as you're looking and as you're thinking there, let me just tell you one thing. You know, some of the things you've heard so far the last couple of days, I would take those apart. You know, who you run with will make all the difference in the world about how you do this. Because you know what? You'll find there's not a lot of people that are doing this. Now, there's a lot of people that talk about that sometimes. But there's not a lot of people that are really doing that. There's a point. It's not glamorous. And you know what? Nobody pats you on the head and says, wow, what a wonderful uh, person you are. You are making a difference. There's two of you. Good. No one says it. They should. But, you know, they don't. So, you know, just... I understand that. But who you run with make a difference. So you need one another. So you can encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called the day. So you don't get deceived by the lakes that are around you. And uh, thank you. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll start a lake. Stay in the room. Yeah, that's a question. Uh, what have you seen for students? Get trained, 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 but don't ever, don't ever attempt to, to carry the weight of the bar. Yeah, you know, oh, that's like, a great question. Have you ever seen students just spend their entire years in college getting training, buying up everything, being at every spring break, yeah. signing up for everything, but then never really taking the step forward to actually take responsibility? Yeah, I have. Why I, do you think that is? That's one of the things, you know. Guys, sometimes you'll hear, like, the toys are for training. Boy, that's so true. You minister in your 30s and 40s and 50s out of what you learn in your training. And so you really want to take that seriously. But we so divorce in our mind what training really is versus what teaching is. And there's so many people that think, I need more, I need more, I need more, I need more. And all they think is, I need to accumulate more information, I need to accumulate more knowledge. And, and so I'm not ready yet because I don't know everything. Oh, my soul, it's that exile. That is not training at all. Teaching is not training, listening is not learning. You know, what you want to remember is this. You want to take it and begin to put it into practice. That's real training. So what you want to do, like, you know, if, if I'm, you know, helping Joanne learn to tie shoes, my goal is not for me to be teaching her this for the next, you know, two years. You know, I mean, I want to teach her for a while, but I want to do it and then have her do it and then do it and have her do it and then have her do it and we just watch it and have her do it and give her comments on it. And then before long, I say, now I want you to teach someone else how to do this and see part of your training is... You're not only learning things, but you're passing them on. 
And so if in your training you're not actually engaged in the mission, you're not you're not in the kind of training you need to be in. I see training where they get through, oh man, read 57 books, did this, did that, did this. I don't care. Were you engaged in the mission? Were you engaged? Were you connected? Were you serving? Were you investing and inviting? Were you engaged in it? Because if you're not engaged in it, I can give a rip if you've been learning all this stuff. It's, you know, as Paul says, knowledge makes arrogance, but love edifies. If any man supposes that he knows anything, he's not yet known as he ought to know. So, you know, I would encourage you, it's not about um, just learning and learning more. It's about learning it, putting it into practice. That's what training's all about. You know, if Grant comes to the gym and goes, so let me see, uh, push that up three times is what I should do? Okay, yeah, let me write that down. But he never pushes the bar up. He just writes it down and leaves. He comes back in a year, and guess what? He probably still can't push up, he probably can't push up the bar. Right? No. Well, you probably can push up the bar, okay. Uh, he can't push up 200 pounds, I guarantee. But you know what, if he'll do the training, then he really can. So guys, part of your training, that's a great question, Josh. Part of your training is actually engaging in the thing, putting it into practice, building into others. I, when I first started, I remember I was there, and this hit me my sophomore year in college. And uh, I met a man uh, my freshman year named Max Barnett. And, uh, I had heard him speak, and I remember thinking, wow, I'm not sure what that was all about, but I need to figure out more about that. And then um, over the course of that semester, I read this biography of a guy named Dawson Trotman, and I thought, whoa, that is what he was talking about, and I, I really you know, began to into that a little bit and then my sophomore year I went on a retreat much like this and there was a guy in New York that was uh, speaking in weeks a week ago and at meals and he was speaking and then just in conversations and, and stuff and I walked away from that and I thought you know I don't know what anyone else is going to do but I really don't but I know what I'm going to I'm going to give my life to me and I remember thinking, where do you get started on this? And so I went back to campus. One of the things I started doing is Max, one of the things Max used to say, you know, you don't know what to do, just pray. And I think, so I go back and I think, God, give me some men. And so, you know, I, I went back to start praying, and the next thing I knew, um, there were some guys that I met starting my junior year, a bunch of guys. Uh, that actually I ended up being the smallest guy in the group. They were all much taller than I. I got one more basketball players, and um, one of them was a baseball player. And we spent, you know, a lot of time together over the next two years. Me just basically pouring into everything I knew. And all of those guys are walking with God and doing really well. Some of them, one of them pastors a big church in Texas. Uh, one of them, you know, is a basketball coach and on other ones in, in, uh, in the county field and other ones in the real estate field, but all of them walking with God and making disciples to this day, 40, 40. So, uh, well, I'd encourage you that, you know, start, start where you are. Start picking it up, start learning, start doing it. Does make sense? Any other questions? That's how you can help. Sure. Well, you know, and, and one of the things, one of the things is that's a good question. You know, there's going to be there's going to be some ebb and flow with your life. So, um, but you know, one person per year really isn't going to overwhelm anybody. Now, some people can handle a lot more than that, and um, some people need it. You know, because 
there's going to be some. You know, I mean, you know, Joanne's over here, and, and she's probably going to get married here soon, and then she's going to, you know, you know, decide to have 14 children. And, and so while she's chasing around 14 children, probably one a year is going to be like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to keep up with one a year? So for her, it may be one every three years, you know, and, and she's going to do that, which means that, you know, Brian's going to have to step it up over here, and, you know, he's going to have to, you know, meet with, you know, probably, you know, two a year, three a year to make up the difference, you know, but he can do that. And, and so different people are going to have different things. See, the thing is this. I never worry about, you know, uh, is this person meeting with one or are they meeting with, unless it's something that's debilitating to them. That's what I worry about. What I worry about is, are they working at their capacity? Are they staying with them? You know, I, I don't want anybody working beyond their capacity. I, one thing you ought to do in ministry, there ought to be two things. When, you, when you're thinking about your personal ministry, there ought to be two factors in it. One, it ought to help stretch. So it ought to be stretching. But two, it needs to be sustainable. It needs to be something you can do the rest of your life. And I see a lot of ministries that are like, oh yeah, we're thinking what we're gonna do this and this, uh, you know, we're gonna do this, and I'll tell you what, we're gonna we're gonna you know, we've led fourteen thousand people to Christ this semester in the first month and we're gonna do and I think, yeah. In the first place I'd like to see that. In the second place, that's not sustainable. You know, so look at Okay, what is stretching? It needs to stretch you to, you know, be more like Jesus and lean into him. And it needs to be sustainable. You know, it needs to be something that uh, that, that really you can do the rest of your life. One of the things you'll find with challenges is pretty much everything we train you in across the board, uh, we didn't just think about it the night before. We've been thinking about it for a long time and do it for a long time. And we, we really try to make everything we train you in something you can take with you and use the rest of your life. It's not like some gimmick thing that, you know, you get out in the real world, it doesn't work. Now, you don't always just adopt it in your new situation. You adapt it to it. But you can use it the rest of your life. And then all this stuff. It's a great question. Great. Um, so, like you said earlier, so like one of the important things um, is like, what, like, fo like this, this, like a life so like, can you like, um, is, should you also like juggle this with like another, with your, with your regular, how do you juggle this with like a regular day job? Oh, great, great question. Hey, you know what? Um, this is, well, this is more than, more than a couple minute answer. But let me, let me tell you this. Your day job is not something you just do to get through it so you can do ministry. That's a short answer. Your day job is a part of your in fact, one of the biggest problems people have today is they think discipleship is all about just like, okay, I know how to lead someone to Christ. I know how to lead a Bible study. I know how to do this. No, 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 no. Discipleship ought to impact the kind of job you take, which job you take, and how you do that job. It ought to impact all of that. And so when you're looking at it, you know, it needs to really impact because you're going to be at that job like a lot of hours. And you need to have that job. You need to do the job in such a way that it really honors God and blesses other people. But you also need to do that job in such a way that you're really growing and you're able to impact the people that around you. What you'll find is, you know, it's like Stephen Covey was talking about in a book of his one time. He drew this little pyramid and he talked about how, you know, when we look at how much of our life is really, what really impacts people out of our lives, 70% of it at the bottom of the pyramid, 70% of it is your example. The example you're setting. Then 20% of it is relationships. How do you handle relationships? What do they look like? 10% of what really makes an impact in your life is your words. Now we tend to think, oh, your words, if you could just say the right thing. No, 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 no. If they see the example and they see your relationships, then your words have great meaning. But if all they see is just your words, well, I mean, you know, you can take those or leave. I mean, you know, words are a dime a dozen. So 
What you'll find, friend, is you work it into there to where you go to work and you do work in such a way that it really is part of you walking with Jesus. And as people are around you, one of the things they'll begin to notice is they'll notice a difference and you'll have opportunity to share with them. When I was in the marketplace, I was able to lead several of my co-workers to Christ and see them actually grow up and, and, and you know continue on. And part of the reason was, you know, you have to begin to understand more about work. And it's just work is not something we do as a result of the curse. <laughs> it's not. It's harder because, you know, the curse, because of the fall. But work is something that we do because we're made in the image of God. God is a worker. And we work. Because you know we're made in His image, and so uh, we want to really, you know, we want to really be aware of that. So, well, guys, let me pray for us. And we'll talk that. I know it's time for dinner. Lord, thanks for uh, thanks for Your Word, Father. And, uh, boy, it, it it so helps us to get on track, to stay on track. Helps us to realize where we've gotten off track. Thanks for that. Thanks for men and women who have uh, gone before us, who really understood the very things we're talking about today and poured their lives into others, who in turn poured their lives into us. God, would we not be so foolish as to think we could live a life that's really praised by the world, but fairly insignificant. Help us to live lives of impact. Help us to live lives of significance as we join you in the very thing you're about. Seeing people of all tribes and tongues come to know and walk with you. We pray that, Father, in Jesus' name. Thanks, guys.